I, I was like, yeah, the evangelical church is on fire. I thought, oh, let's put out the fire. Like, let's fix it. And then at some point during the, the election cycle and the early days of Trump, pre- the Trump presidency, I went, no, let's just pour gasoline on it and start over. Welcome to the Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the Babble podcast. As always, we are so happy that you're here. And I have a really cool guest with me today, and I'm super excited. I know you guys are going to love him. Um, His name is Jeremy Coleman. And Jeremy Coleman is a pastor from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, Jeremy is also a content creator on social media. And he has an incredible following of over 215,000 followers on TikTok. Um, And so if you don't follow him on TikTok, I'm going to put his TikTok handle in the show notes for you so you can go follow him. Um, His content seeks to challenge, encourage, and bring hope to his community through a Christian worldview. And outside of social media, Jeremy enjoys being with his amazing wife, Brianna, and their four children. So he is a family man as well. Um, And so being from Oklahoma myself, um, for those of you who don't know, I was born in Tulsa. My family is in Tulsa and we have a lot of Oklahoma roots. Our family is from there as well. So I am so excited to talk to Jeremy, who is obviously a fellow Okie, about the Christian worldview in that realm of the States. So Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Hey, I'm so excited that we're going to do this page. I've I've been looking forward to this and uh, I really appreciate you having me on and for your listeners. I'm, I'm just excited to get to connect with you and and this, this should be fun from Okie to Okie. It should be a a ton of fun. (laughs) I I lived in Tulsa uh, actually for a while. um, And and I, I, yeah, I was there for about six years serving in a Mm -hmm. couple of churches there. I loved it. Um, I would go back like in a heartbeat. My wife, on the other hand, is a 405 girl. Like you can't Uh change her. And (laughs) And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, so, so I definitely have a special place in my heart for Tulsa. I think my Mm -hmm. wife does too. It's just not as fun. So. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. I was born in, uh, born in Tulsa. My brother was born in Tulsa and, um, my fam, my mom and dad originally are from Salisaw, Oklahoma, which is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know where that is? Teeny tiny little town. Of course. course. (laughs) (laughs) And my brother currently is at, um, OU in OKC for medical school. So he, yeah. um, so he now has a special place in his heart for OKC as well. Um, he really likes it up there. 
I I will, you know, as as crazy as it is, and as much as I speak out against some of the nonsense that happens in Oklahoma, there's just something pretty awesome about, especially especially like Oklahoma City and the way it's grown in the last like 10 years and mm-hmm. um, some of the great things that are happening here and just some of the culture that happens here. Um, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, well, Oklahoma is you know, uber conservative and a really, you know, (laughs) dangerous place and whatever. But it's like you get into Oklahoma City, you get into Tulsa. There's just some really awesome culture that happens there. And uh, and it's it's just a lot of fun. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't trade I wouldn't trade my life in the 405 for anything. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely there. It it has its days, right? Like everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Jeremy, can you tell uh, the people listening a little bit more about your story, how you got into becoming a pastor and then what that has now led to um, and just kind of your your background with that? So kind of I got into ministry um, because uh, when I was when I was younger, um, I was raised in a very fundamental conservative conservative background. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, w- I was raised Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I had a really, really amazing grandpa though, who, uh, kind of came from that background, but I remember having conversations with him about how his worldview was changing. So mm-hmm. he grew up, um, in the fifties and sixties in Arkansas, um, mm-hmm obviously during times of segregation and Jim Crow and all of those things. And I remember, I remember sitting down specifically with him one time having conversation about race relations and Mm -hmm. how he was like, man, you know, God has just changed my heart so much on this. Like I grew up in a place where everybody was racist. My family was racist. And I just remember him telling me about these things. And he's like, he's like, you know, son, God, God's, um, God sets you apart because you see things in a, in a, in a godly lens. And like, he just used to tell me things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I just felt really passionate about the love of Jesus that, that was for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the changes happening in his heart um, to the point where uh, when I visited him one time and I brought one of my friends with me uh, who, who's a black dude. And he and I grew up together. Mm-hmm. And when we went um, like to watch my grandpa, just love on this guy and, and just like, they became best friends. Aww. Like, and, and by the end of the week, like this guy was calling my grandpa, Papa, like I did, you know, like, Aww, it, was just, so it, was so, it was so good. And so to see that and to go, well, how much more can we change and how much Mm. better can we be, even if we're coming from this very like conservative fundamentalist background. And so kind of fast forward, I I got into high school and in high school, I started, uh, I started uh, volunteering at a local middle school, um, Mm. just working with a a local PE teacher. And I was just going in and hanging out and playing games with the kids and basketball and dodgeball and whatever else. And and just doing that probably two or three times a week, my junior and senior year of high school. And I was like, man, I just love hanging out with students. Like this is a, this is a ton of fun to me. And so um, I I decided to go into, into youth ministry. Uh, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University and uh, and made that transition to uh, start getting into youth ministry. And then I actually had an opportunity to take my first job uh, as a part time youth pastor my freshman year of college. And mm. so that's when my vocational ministry started. 
through this process, though, what was beginning to happen, especially as I was like going to college and I, I took some really good philosophy classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you and I actually talked about this a little bit uh, off air a second ago mm-hmm. was, you know, kind of having people in your life that come into your life that teach you how to how to think differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about one time he goes, I want to teach you how to be a positive skeptic. In other words, I want you to take everything, dissect it and go, why do I believe this or why do I don't and be able to boil it down in a fair way. Right. Yeah. So I think growing up in a fundamentalist background in a, in a conservative background, I was always taught this is what we believe and we don't question it. We just do it. Right. And and so but what I was what I was starting to learn in these philosophy classes was like, you know, that God was very different than, than what I had always pegged him as. And, and I, and I saw that start to play out differently in scripture. I remember I was challenged one time in philosophy class. I debated with my professor one time because he started talking about, um, he used to, he used to give us six and sorry, if this is like the really long form of the answer. No, you're fine. Please. This is great. Um, So he, he, he used to give us six uh, essay prompts for our test and we would have to uh-huh. write on two of them. And yes. the way that he would choose them is he would take, he would take a die and he would roll it. And then whatever number popped up was just the prompt we had to write about for the test. Hmm. And he would always say before that, uh, he would always say before that he would say two things. He would say, there's no such thing as luck, but sometimes God changes his mind and he would roll the dice. <laughs> And like for my conservative fundamentalist heart, like I was like, no, no, like (laughs) this is impossible. And so finally, one day I was like, why do you always say that God can change his mind? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and he was like, he was like, well, he goes, Jeremy, just think about, think about the story of Jonah. And I was like, Jonah, Jonah was rebellious against God. And, you know, God yeah. was grace, gracious to him and da, da, da. He goes, no, 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 no. Not your VBS version of Jonah. And I was like, oh, snap. Oh, like he, no. he came right at me <laughs> and he goes, think about when God sends Jonah into Nineveh. He tells Jonah, he says, go tell the Ninevites that I will destroy them. Not I might, not maybe I'm thinking about it. He says, go tell the people of Nineveh, I'm going to destroy you. Period. Mm -hmm. So Jonah goes in, hop, skipping and jumping into Nineveh because God just saved him uh, with a fish. Right. And he (laughs) he goes, he goes into, he goes into Nineveh and he's telling these people, you know, uh, in in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. God's going to destroy you. This is the word of the Lord. And then scripture says that they begin to repent and seek the forgiveness of God from the top to the bottom. It says Mm -hmm. it started with the king who tore his clothes, donned sackcloth, covered himself in ashes and, and, and began to fast until God would, until God would forgive them of their, of their failure. Right. Mm -hmm. Scripture says this, it says God relented. (laughs) In other words, God heard them and changed their outcome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, whoa, uh, huh. You know, like, <laughs> and that moment right there entirely rattled the way I thought about God and the way that mm-hmm. I thought about scripture, because I was like, oh my gosh, everything I've learned has been in an echo chamber in a tube. What else is different too? Mm-hmm. So then you start to dissect things like the writings of Paul and you yep. go, 
if I'm going to, if I'm going to study scripture, well, that means I'm studying it in historical context, not just in biblical context, because in the conservative movement, we were always taught that context meant don't take a passage out of the group of verses it's in. Right. Which is fine, but that's literary context. And that's true of anything. Like you don't just skip around in Harry Potter. Like you, (laughs) you read it page by page. Right. So I was like, okay, literary context, check. Then I started to be challenged in some of those same classes. Well, what if, what if we started looking at things in historical context and cultural context as well, Mm -hmm. just like we do every other writing? Yeah. So then, so then it started to change. It started to mold. And then that's, that's, I think when I became rebellious against a lot of the conservative um, teaching, because because what I realized was, is we were taking things so far out of historical, cultural, and literary context. And we were just, we were just told this is the truth because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And we were never challenging that with our, with our mind. And, and so, um, and we were never challenging it with the character of God either Mm-mm. to, to, to test it with the character of God and to see that it's good or to see that it's bad or, or how it fits. And so I got into ministry when I was 18, I began uh, a process of uh, we, I I had a church in Oklahoma city and then my wife and I got married and we actually moved to the panhandle of Oklahoma. Mm. And, you know, as an Okie, you know, that's a desolate place. (laughs) Um, So I was in a, I was in a small town of like 700 people. I went from, I went from a place that was like really high, um, a high crime area, a a ton of, a ton of the students that were in my student ministry uh, were involved in gangs in Oklahoma city. And I took, Mm. I went from that job to the panhandle Mm -hmm. and that was like culture shock. And then we went to the Tulsa area and I served at a couple of communities in that area for a few years. And then we came back to Oklahoma city Um, and so that's, that was kind of my journey. And then obviously recently, as I've shared on my TikTok platform, um, I'm actually officially out of a physical church for the first time since I was 18 years old Mm -hmm. and I'm doing ministry online full time and it's just been insane. And, and so it's, it's been a crazy journey to this point. There's tons and tons of stories, but I've already taken up uh, more than plenty of our time with, with that. Not at all. Literally every guest that I have says that because they think they are, they're so long-winded, but like you're, you're here because we want to hear your story. Like, please talk. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I love that you are so, um, I love that you're so candid about how crucial it is to have that moment, either from a professor or from a friend or from whoever of like, but did you ever think about it in this way before? Or have you ever seen scripture in this way before? Because that it does just open up a whole new realm of possibilities and understanding. Um, My catalyst moment was when I was, I mean, there were a lot of things kind of leading up to it as we kind of discussed before we got on, um, on air, but the, the moment that I kind of attribute to my to the beginning of my deconstruction journey was my junior year of college, I was in a class called theater and Christianity because I was a theater major and I went to Baylor, which is a religious institution. So our theater department created this course of theater and Christianity. How do you combine the two? Because most 
people don't think you can. You absolutely can if you want to. Um, but there was a play that we read in that class called The Christians. And um, okay. it, I'm going to link the play below in the show notes if anybody wants to go check it out. It's an incredible play. But the premise of the play is there is a pastor of a church, a small uh, church uh, in the South. It doesn't designate exactly where, but in the South, in the Bible Belt. And this pastor goes um, on a uh, on a mission kind of in the Middle East somewhere, just in a third okay. world country. Yeah. And is going to preach uh, the word of God to the people. And he, his main message that he was giving to the people was the concept of heaven and hell and kind of explaining what hell is explaining what heaven is and explaining that in order to avoid hell and get to heaven, you have to know God. And then he witnesses a, um, a bomb going off in the village that he's in and there, the building is burning and there are people running out of it. And all of a sudden he sees a young boy, probably like 13 year old boy running back yeah. into the burning fire of the building to retrieve his sisters. To save, to save mm -hmm. his sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And the boy never comes out he didn't, they didn't make it. And so the pastor has witnessed all of this and begins to think himself, that was the most altruistic, like sacrificial thing I've ever seen a person do. Like that person, if they knew God would obviously go to heaven, but just because they, if just because I didn't get to them in time, does that mean God's condemning that child? Mm. And so, and so he starts thinking about these things and then he goes back to his home church in the Bible belt and starts having these conversations with his congregation and, sh and like shit hits the fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it got me, that's what got me thinking too. I was like, I've never thought about it that way. I've I, never thought I, about it that way. I had a crazy, so, so it's all building blocks, right? Like it's, yes. it's a series of building blocks as we start the deconstruction process. So mm -hmm. I think the very initial foundation, the foundation that I stand on is watching the way, like, like I talked about early on the way that my grandpa changed his views because people in his world used the Bible to defend racism. Mm-hmm. People who preach from the pulpit in his church when he was a kid yeah. use the Bible to defend segregation and Jim Crow mm -hmm. and to watch him go through a process of sanctification where he he discovered a deeper understanding of God, despite all the things that he was told to just, you know, just to trust because he's supposed to mm -hmm. and to watch that happen. It it put a layer in my brain to go what else can change? Right? right. And so that was the initial building block. Well, then, you know, you, you fast forward and you start having these conversations about the character of God and how he changes and, or, or you know, how, how he can change his mind and, and, and that scripture is not always as, as literal as what we've been told it was. Mm -hmm. And so like all of that's piecing together. And then I find myself in a mission trip or on a mission trip in Mexico. Mm. And I'm, I remember being upset with a, a missionary who is a really good friend of mine now, but uh, because when I got there, I was there with a bunch of other pastors and he told us as soon as we got off the plane, he said, do not proselytize these people. Mm. 
we're not here to get conversions. And these pastors were mad. And I, I was, I was like, well, we're here to share the gospel. And he's like, no, we're here to love people. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it completely changed. Uh, it changed my view. And then <clears throat> I remember being in a Mayan village, people that 20 years ago, didn't even know that they were part of Mexico mm-hmm. because there wasn't any government roads to them. They were in these villages, no running water, no electricity. And they, uh, I, I, I looked around and I thought, I thought if I lived in this situation and somebody said, all you have to do is go X amount of miles that way. And you can make seven, what is minimum wage right now? Seven fifty, seven twenty-five mm-hmm. an hour. Yeah. You can go X amount of miles that way. And the world is your oyster. And I remember stepping back from that after growing up in such conservatism and even to that point, still claiming to be a very conservative person. I remember stepping back from that and going, if this was me, I would absolutely jump the border (laughs) on behalf of my family because I love them because there's a greater opportunity right there, Mm -hmm. just right on the other side of the river, right? Mm-hmm. you know, across the Jordan and into the promised land. Like here it is. Yeah. And I remember going on that trip with people. And this was the hardest part. I remember going on a trip with those, with, with these people who were like, while we were there, they were like, Oh, we love these people. Like we're going to continue to what, what we were doing. We were installing stoves because mm-hmm. in the middle of their huts, they had open campfires. But what, what they were having problems with is their young babies and kids were uh, either getting burned because they were, you know, I mean, you know, you got toddlers stumbling around and things yeah. like that. I mean, it's just natural. Or the other problem was, is the, is the smoke inhalation for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we were installing these stoves that would, uh, would send the fire out. Cause they left these, they left these fires going 24, seven, 365. They cooked yeah. on them. They did heat from them. They boiled water on them like the whole nine. And so we were installing these stoves that would vent the smoke mm-hmm. out. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all mm-hmm. we did. Um, and I remember, you know, Oh, you know, these people or the, these, these folks that I was with, Oh, these poor people, Oh, these poor people, like, this is just, this is terrible. And then we went home and I kid you not, like a week later, there was a conversation and President Obama was the president at the time. And there was a conversation about giving amnesty to dreamers. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting with two people that I'd gone on that mission trip with who had seen the same things I said. And they were like, I'm so sick of illegal aliens being in this country and they need to send them all back where they came from. And I thought. This is like, there is no way this adds up. Yeah. There's no way this is Jesus at all. Mm -hmm. And so that was another huge thing for me because I looked around and I was like, you know, God loves, God loves everybody in every country, just as much as he loves us. Mm -hmm. We're not so star spangled. Awesome. (laughs) that, That God, that God loves us more than he loves anybody else because we, you know, shoot fireworks and eat hot dogs on July 4th. Like that's not a thing. God loves everyone just as much seven plus billion people in the world. And God loves them just as much as he loves me and cares about them just as much as he cares about me. Mm -hmm. And how dare we say as a country full of resources and opportunity that you're not good enough to be here. And we don't want to give you anything. 
Right. How horrible is that? Yeah. And so I, and so that just further uh, pushed me down the rabbit hole of deconstruction of like, man, the American evangelical church is a pile of trash. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry if that's really direct, but no, I don't that so. is that that's what it's become. Yeah. And so for a long time, I was like, guys, let's put the fire out and rebuild this thing. Like the American evangelical church is on fire. Like we, we've got to just, we got to get water. We got to put it out and we've got to rebuild it in a better way. Like that was my mm-hmm. thing for a long time. And then at one day I finally looked up after like there, there was just thing after thing after thing. And this was so that was when President Obama was in office. And I thought, mm-hmm. how crazy is this? Then I remember <laughs> talking with people who were like, they were praying for his demise, like for him to have yeah. a heart attack and not be able to be in office anymore and stuff like that. And I was like, this is so not Christian. And yeah. then when Trump rose to power, I thought oh, this is the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And it was from that point that I went, no, 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 we don't need water. Put gasoline on it. Just let it go. Like mm, let it burn. I, I was like, yeah, the evangelical church is on fire. I thought, oh, let's put out the fire. Like let's fix it. And then at some point during the, the election cycle and the early days of Trump, pre- the Trump presidency, I went, nope, let's just pour gasoline on it and start over. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I just, I can't. And, and yeah. I think, do, do I still believe that the church as described as the bride of Christ is important? Yes. But do I think that the way the American evangelicalism has done it is important? No, mm-hmm. it's more harm than it is good. We've got to, we, we've just got <laughs> revival is happening, mm-hmm. uh, but it's called deconstruction. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and for those who might not know what that metaphor is, the bride of Christ, can you describe that and on from your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there, there's kind of this analogy in the New Testament, right, that um, that Jesus comes as the bridegroom and that the body of Christ is his bride and that it's this it's this perfect union of um of love and compassion. We, we serve Jesus and, and give our lives to Jesus. And and we want to look like and act like, and be like Jesus, um, as followers of his, um, and that Jesus loves us as, as his. And, um, and so I I think it's, I think it's a really great metaphor. Um, I, I think it's also a reason that when we, when we look at that, uh, we need to, it also tears down the walls of misogyny that happens in the, in the evangelical church too. Uh-huh. Um, because we saw Jesus come to be a servant, to mm-hmm. wash feet, uh, to, to, to be the least of these. Right. And so uh, when, when Paul writes that, you know, uh, that men should love their wives the way Christ loves the church uh, a lot of men are like, that means I'm the head. That means I'm in charge because <laughs> Jesus is in charge. Right. And what that actually means is, is that you love your wife and your family well by serving them really well. Mm-hmm. That's good leadership is to serve really well. And so um, I, I think we've just, we've just missed the mark on a lot of that, but, yeah. um, but when it comes to, when it comes to uh, what I would say is that, you know, a lot of people use the phrase, the capital C church, right? Like mm-hmm. followers of Jesus worldwide. Um, the American evangelical church has become more of a cult than it has Christian. And so I don't think very often that it identifies Jesus or Christianity or anything like that. Well, mm. it identify it, it is, it is, um, 
it is a misogynistic, homophobic cult uh, <laughs> that flies under the guise of being followers of Jesus. And they are weaponizing Jesus. They are weaponizing God and they are weaponizing scripture yeah. uh, to, to fear, to, to fear monger people and mm-hmm. that that's unhealthy. And so I still very much identify as a, a person of faith. I still very much identify as a follower of Jesus. I do not identify as an American evangelical because that's not following Jesus. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And that's, I've had so many conversations with people on the podcast already about how that separation is happening. And it's been, you know, to your point, it's kind of been burning and like coming apart for many years now. But I think that honestly, I do think that the Trump presidency was a big catalyst for that separation of the organization church and the capital C church, as you describe it, that people who can kind of see the writing on the wall and be like, no, what the organized church is doing is not what Christ wanted. And so that right. needs to, that needs to be taken care of. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that the Trump presidency started the revival that the conservative church always prayed for, mm-hmm. but it's just not them, you know, like right. they, yeah. they, and they say there's a, you know, like we see in, in the new Testament, uh, it says, you know, Paul writes in, in the last days, there will be a great falling away from false teachers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, people look at me on TikTok and they say, you're the great falling away. You're the false teacher. My answer to that would be is that I feel closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. I feel like the great falling away is, and, and the false teachers is like Greg Locke. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I think I think instead of, instead of being afraid that I'm running from Jesus, I've told people a lot. I, I don't know. I've changed and I've, 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 I have definitely moved and, and, and adapted in my faith as I've been led by God. Um, but I also think the conservative evangelical church has changed Mm-hmm. And it was always in there. Like you knew it was in there and you, and, and you smelt the funk, like, especially <laughs> in the Obama years, mm-hmm. like you started to really get like a, mm, something's not right here. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, as soon as the pendulum swung back the other way and they, and they began to just idolize Trump mm-hmm. and, 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 and put down any kind of semblance or any, any facade, right? Like I, cause I think at this point there, there weren't morals in place. Like a lot of people are like the Christian church gave up its morals to follow Trump. I was like, "Mm, maybe it was just a facade of morals. So they didn't look crazy. And then when Trump went into power, they were like, Oh, we don't care if we're crazy or not. And then they just pushed down the facade to reveal what was already there. And, and it was like, it was just batshit nuts. It, like, <laughs> everybody looked at it and they were like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I, I think, I think probably the best thing is, is that, is that it, at least it exposed it. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like I, I tell people all the time. Uh, if you fly a Confederate flag, you have done me a giant favor. I don't have to wonder if you're racist or not. Yeah. 
Like I have no questions, right? Yep. Like you have, you have identified yourself. Yes. So if you wear a MAGA hat, I have no questions. Like yep. I, I know you're a tinfoil hat, like anti-vaxxer <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry, but it just is what it is. Like you've chosen your, you've chosen your squad, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, it's sad, but, it but is. at least, at least now, at least now we see it. Yeah. And I think at least it's now out all exposed and on display. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think, think that's good. Yeah. I also think what's interesting is because I've talked to a couple of people that will say like, oh, I wear a MAGA hat, but I'm not racist. I just like Trump's policies or, oh, I, you know, I voted for Trump, but I don't agree with this specific thing that he said, but I like the other things, you know, they try to qualify this, that, or the other thing. Um, And I'm just like, you know what, as good intentioned as you may be, and I can And if I know them personally, it's like, I know you're a good human and you're like at your core, but you, to your point that you just made, Jeremy, you know, what club you're joining, like, you know, what you're being affiliated with when you put that hat on and you're accepting all of it. Yeah. You're accepting that people are going to see that hat and be like, what you just said, that person's probably racist or that person probably doesn't like women very much. Like you just... You just kind of have to make that assumption, no matter what the person underneath the hat actually believes. And that's that's unfortunate, but you have to, if you're going to go that route, or if you're going to put that symbol on, you have to know what it means. Well, and and that's the reason I I get so irritated with um, um, American voters. Mm -hmm. I appreciate our system in the sense that everybody has a voice, Mm -hmm. right? I, well, and I, I shouldn't even say that because, um, you know, I think, I think the, that, that modern day slavery is, um, you know, the mass incarceration of Mm -hmm. in particular men of color, but people of color in general, and the fact that we're just taking their voting rights away uh, for a mistake they made, you know, as kids or, you know, whatever, like you have a felony, you don't get to vote for the rest of your life. Like that seems a little obtuse. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can appreciate, I can appreciate us as a democracy. Okay. Um, the, the issue is, is that so many Americans are getting their information from like social media and an echo chamber. So they just surround themselves with a bunch of people that think like them. Yeah. And then so many of them are convinced that they can just vote on one issue. Mm-hmm. So for example, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who voted for Donald Trump and 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 the phrase is always, well, he's pro-life and so am I, you mm-hmm. know, or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, the the man has has literally paid for abortions. Like there are yeah. receipts, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't know where you get off saying that, but I know. But but it's like so many conservatives, it's like the one thing they hang on to. Mm-hmm. And it's also why. So so this is this is the deal that, that I, 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 I was talking about on a on a TikTok live last night. I said, if conservatives ever got the chance. To fix abortion the way they they wanted to, they wouldn't do it. And if Democrats ever got the chance to fix uh, uh, to fix. Uh, dreamer legislation the way they wanted to, they wouldn't do it. Mm 
Mm. And the reason for that is, and I'm sorry, that may offend everybody in the room, but the okay. reason for that is, is because think about it. If Republicans ever got their way on the abortion topic, they would lose one of the major legs of their party and they would lose voters. Mm. Because then what are you going to campaign on? You can't bang that war drum anymore. <laughs> you, but you can't. We yeah. fixed the problem. Now I can't campaign on that. And yeah. that issue alone drags in millions and millions and millions of dollars into conservative campaigns. Do you really think they want to fix that issue? This is a wonderful point you make. Yeah. They, they, why would they? And, and like with immigration and dreamer legislation, the mm -hmm. Democrats can always stand and say, we are the party that stands for immigrants and refugees and dreamers. We are that party. And if that problem ever got solved and they got it fixed the way they wanted it to be fixed, they would lose that leg and they would no longer be able to claim that. Yeah. Do you think that they really want to fix that problem? Because it brings millions and millions and millions of dollars into the left wing campaign. Mm -hmm. They don't want to fix it. They want something to talk about that fires people up and gets them to yeah, donate. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, in America in particular, um, in our politics and just our culture in, in general, um, those two issues, abortions or pro-life and immigration and dreamers, there's a whole religious side to that as well. Like yes. yeah. the... And people of faith and Christianity or what have you will run to the pro-life side and the more, if you will, progressive Christians will run to the immigration and dreamer side. And that is a huge pull, um, which yeah. I find problematic, but it seems like it's almost impossible in our current just like state as a nation um, to separate religion from our politics. It, it, it's, it's become, it, it's become damn near impossible, but, mm -hmm. um, but the one thing that I always try to remember is that I'm going to say things that are going to make both sides angry. Like I was talking about that yeah. on a, on a podcast the other day, like I'm going to say things that are going to make you uncomfortable if you're right or left. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, I mean, so I'm no longer a Republican. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's any secret, <laughs> um, you, you know, but that is only because the things that are identified, my beliefs identified through the lens of my faith fit mm -hmm. more appropriately to the left right now. They just right. do. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's really hard to be a person of faith and to fit perfectly in either box, because I don't think Jesus fits perfectly in either box. No. So, so when I think about, when I think about Jesus, I, I think about somebody who was really, to be perfectly honest, probably very apolitical, right? Like mm -hmm. um, he was going to say things that made the Pharisees upset. He was going to say things that made the tax collectors upset, right? Like I'm sure the rich young ruler walked away and was like, this dude wants me to sell everything. Like my family's worked generations for this, you know? And then mm -hmm. the Pharisees didn't exactly love it when they brought a woman caught in adultery and Jesus condemned them instead. Like, right. you know, so I think, I think there were, there was the push and pull. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're doing faith well, then there is going to be that push and pull against our politics because our politics have become boxes. And I don't yeah. think Jesus, Jesus and, and the faith in Jesus is an anomaly. It doesn't really fit. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be times that, that I'm going to say things that 
very rarely anymore, but there are going to be times that I say things that make the right happy. Uh, there, there, there are going to be times that I make the left happy. Uh, but I would hope that every time that I was making Jesus happy. And mm-hmm. so that's the goal, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so when it comes to those two things, uh, do I want to, do I want to see uh, a, a simpler immigration process for people to come into this country and experience our, our wealth of resources and opportunities? Yes, I do. Do I think that every dreamer in the United States who, who came here and was brought here by their parents uh, should be uh, given, uh, given citizenship immediately? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so it, those things fit to the left in our current state. Mm-hmm. But I think those things fit Jesus. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what is so tantalizing about election cycles um, in our country because of the fact that I mentioned that, like, to your point, people who want to be people of faith, you know, they might have grown up all their lives more towards the right and have been told that, no, this aligns more with Jesus because of these particular issues but then they also might think, well, but there are also, you know, more social justice issues that Jesus would align with on the left. So like, which one do I do? <laughs> and I think, um, I think it's a shame that it's both a shame and beautiful that people want to hold so closely to their morals and to their faith and the way they've been taught. But I think it's a shame that they feel the they feel like they have to choose a box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just unfortunate. Well, and we have to remember that the system, that this country, number one, it, it is a false narrative that it was a Christian nation. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we have to remember that a worldly government is worldly. So in other words, it's never going to either way, no matter how you slice it, like it's never going to look like the kingdom of God. Like it's just not. Mm-hmm. And, and there's never going to be a party of morality. There's never going to be, you know, you know, this is the, I mean, I mean, Christians can't even get on the same page. That's the reason there's like <laughs> five gazillion different oh, um, God. denominations, right? Like yeah. what makes you think you're going to take one party here and one party there and go, these are the Christians and these are the antichrists right. when Christians in and of themselves can't even agree. So mm-hmm. th- it's never going to be a thing. Um, and, and we just have to remember that. So I think Using common sense, researching candidates, going who is going to be the best for the job. There has never been a president in my lifetime. And I've been somebody who's been involved in, in I've, I've always been super uh, uh, involved in politics and current mm-hmm. events. And like that is, I've just always been a nerd for that kind of stuff. And there has never been a president in my lifetime that everything they have done, I've liked and everything that they've done, I've hated. Mm-hmm. Now there's been some that I've agreed with way more than others. Sure. But there are times when it's like, no, I can give a nod to that. I can give a hat tip to that, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we've spoken about it. It's pretty plain. I was not, a, I was not a fan of president Donald Trump by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. <laughs> there were some things that he did that helped bolster the economy early on in his presidency. Sure. Um, I, you just have to acknowledge it. 
as yep. much as I think he's a scum human being yeah. and is gross, <laughs> I have to go, okay, this man has, you know, apparently billions of dollars, but that's speculative as well. well but, uh, but, but has apparently built this empire in some way, shape, form or fashion where he's got hotels all over the world with his name on them. Right. And, and we did see, we did see a surge in the economy. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. That's fair to nod. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I think that, that president Obama was really, really great at foreign relations and did mm-hmm. a fantastic job uh, working our relationships with other nations and, and giving us stronger allies and all of those things. I think he was fantastic at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, I think president Biden is really good at being, um, you know, people like make fun of him because they're like, well, you know, he's just so slow to speak and and mm-hmm. he sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about. I think he's just really weighed and measured. Like mm-hmm. he wants to make sure he's talking about things that, and, and I love the fact like, on day one, you know, he's having a conference with everybody in his cabinet. And he's like, look, you decide to be a jerk around here and I'm going to fire you myself. Mm-hmm. Like we're not, we're not this culture of like cutthroat, you know, everybody's a, uh, you know, an asshole or whatever that those days are gone. Yeah. Everybody's going to be kind and, and we're going to work together well. And, and mm-hmm. so I can appreciate that. Like, I just yeah, think he's a good course. dude at the heart. And yeah. so um, there's going to be things that I agree with. There's going to be things that I disagree with. Um, mm-hmm. with everybody, but we have to make educated, educated, uh, we have to make educated votes. We have to look and we have to go, okay, here's what this person stands for. Here's what this person stands for. We listen to the debates. We see their mannerisms. We mm-hmm. use discernment, all of those things. And then we go, this is what I think is best for our country, for our community, whatever. Yeah. And that's how Americans need to vote. But we have gotten so tribal in the sense that it's like, if you're red, we just vote straight ticket. And if you're blue, you just vote straight ticket. Yep. I haven't voted straight ticket in years. And, mm-hmm. and it's because there are people on the right that I think are doing a decent job. And there are people on the left that I think are doing a decent job. And, and I'm just going to make the, I'm going to make the distinctions that I think are mm-hmm. best for, for the situation. And so, yeah. um, I think we need to be, I think we need to be more educated as voters. I completely agree with you 100%. And that was a huge issue for me going into the voting world. Um, Because when I, when I was 18, my first voting uh, was between Obama and McCain. Um, And um, yeah. 2008? Yeah, 2008. Was that 2008? How old was I? Yeah. 2008. Um, no, it wouldn't have been. That was, was the first. That was the first election I voted in. I think it might have been the one after that. Then, 2012. Obama, Ob- Obama, and Romney. Romney, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, Which, and- by the way, look at Mitt Romney right now. Like he's the he's the last like he's the last sound voice in the room on the right. Like I know what a time. Who ever saw that coming? <laughs> like <laughs> I. I mean, at this point in, in life, I don't really, nothing surprises me these days. I was, I was very, not, not to, not to divert. I want to hear, I want no, to hear please. the rest of your story for no, sure. Fine. I, I, so the first election, I, so 30, I'll be 33 at the end of this month. The first election that I voted in was 2008 presidential election, mm-hmm. uh, Obama and uh, McCain. 
And then the next one was Obama and Romney. Right. I, I grew up in a, you know, as we talked about, I grew up in a very conservative home, very conservative yeah. background. Uh, so in those first two elections that I voted in like 18 and 22, right? Like I, or I was 18 years old and 22 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. so 2008, 2012, I was very, um, well, that's not true anyway. Uh, but <laughs> I was, I was, I was thinking about my age. I was, I was wrong on my age. Uh, I was, I was 20. Dang. Now I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. Sorry. This is like, this has turned into a whole thing, like a rabbit hole. Okay. So whatever, doesn't matter how old I was. The first presidential election I voted in was in 2008. Okay. Uh Um, I grew up in a very conservative home. So I was still, Mm -hmm. I was still young. I was still very much indoctrinated with that. Yep. I walk away having voted for John McCain in 2008. And especially after the things that we saw John McCain do for the rest of his life, voted for Mitt Romney after seeing the things that Mitt Romney has done and standing against like this crazy conservatism. I don't necessarily agree with a ton of politics with Mitt Romney these days, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like, I don't feel bad voting for Mitt Romney. And I don't Mm -hmm. feel bad voting for John McCain because those guys both came out smelling pretty good. Like I'm like, you know, these are moderates. Like if either one of those guys had been president, we would have been fine. Obama was a fantastic president. I think history is going to judge him really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, But golly, like I just, now I look and I'm like, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I miss the days when we had like just two really good choices and you really couldn't mess it up. Yep. You know, like I, I know. feel like if any anybody had voted for e- any of those guys, you voted for Obama, it was going to be fine. You voted for McCain, it was going to be fine. You voted for Romney, it was going to be fine. History has played out really well for all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. And and like those were the good old days, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> we got to get back to the good old days. Um, no, I completely agree with you. And my. Um, what I was originally going to say was kind of hearkening back to what you had said about how, like in your first elections, you still felt very indoctrinated and it was just like click and go. Um, No. And for me, that was exactly the same way. Like I knew growing up that my, my family was right-sided, like Republican all the way conservative. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't even give a second thought to Democrats. Not at all. Um, right. And so when I go in, I go with my mom to vote because I'd never voted before and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I go with my mom and when, and she was also with me when I got my driver's license and I registered to vote when I turned 18. Um, so my ticket was all like when I registered, it was already set to Republican ticket. Um, (laughs) and so I, I got my ticket and it was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Republican, all ticket, click, done, I'm leaving. And I remember leaving after that and on the drive home, I started thinking, I was like, wait, isn't voting really important? Shouldn't that have been more of a thing? Like, I, I just felt like I had yeah. missed something or that there was something I didn't do correctly. And I didn't fully understand what that meant until, because obviously I went to college after that election and um and then started my own journey of like figuring shit out and then realized, oh, wait, 
when I vote, I need to know who I'm voting for. Yeah. <laughs> I need yeah, to know the names, the names, the names on the would ticket. Be real good. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I, uh, I remember, I remember the last time I voted straight ticket. Um, and I, I just like about a year later, I was like, you know, I just, I feel, I feel gross. Cause like, you feel like you're like cheating on the forefathers or something like that, you know, like, <laughs> like it, it feels, <laughs> feels really gross. Kind of. Yeah. And, and then, but I think that, I think that's the, that's the important thing is mm-hmm. that Americans have gotten so polarized that we quit using common sense to, uh, to educate our choices. And mm-hmm. so we are just so led by the, the radical, I would, I would venture to say, here, here's, here's my thought. I would venture to say that there is a a group of 20% of America that is super radical, as far right as you can get crazy conservative. Mm -hmm. And people will probably push back on that and say that there's more these days, but I just think they're loud squeaky wheels and they're still that small. Mm -hmm. I would say that there's 20% like as far out left as you can go. Right. Like if we yeah. turned into, you know, whatever, uh, like, like just super, super, super far left. Yeah. Okay. I think the rest of the country just is somewhere in the middle. I think probably 60% of the country is moderate, right, moderate left. Mm-hmm. And, but because those outer outside twenties, right. Mm-hmm. Have gotten so loud they are just speaking over common sense, like just yelling over common sense at each other. And there's no more common sense. And so the thing that I've come to, and this was something that somebody encouraged me on the other day, actually my Mm -hmm. dad, which Mm -hmm. is crazy because he's like, he's very conservative. Yeah. He loves what I do. Doesn't agree with a lot of it, but he loves what I do. That's great. And I remember talking to him about leaving my job and the situation that, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, I I left my church and I left my day job. And I remember talking to him about all of those things. And he goes, you know, son, he goes, he goes, I I know you're further left than me <laughs> politically, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a kind way for him to put it. Um, He goes, but people need your voice. Mm-hmm. He goes, because you're somebody in the middle. And he goes, he goes, you can be amplified and get loud enough to stop the yelling from the extremists. Mm. And my dad said that. And I thought, I thought that is wild to me, but we do, we need voices who are just like, Hey, how about common sense instead of just extremism? Yes. From, from any direction, right? Like, let's just let's just sit down together and come up with really good solutions Mm -hmm. that are good for everybody. And that may feel like something that is going to lean left. And that may feel like something that's going to lean right. But at the end of the day, like we're doing a better job for each other. Yeah. And so I just, I, you know, I just want to fight for things that um, make the most sense. Mm-hmm. for us to love each other and to be good to each other and to be kind to one another and just to be better people. Yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot of that is informed through my faith, but, uh, 
you know, I, I just, I feel like we've, we've got to be, um, we've got to be more compassionate and we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, um, slow to anger and, and all of those things, yeah. uh, that are, that are good things. Um, and so, you know, and yeah. that, that'll, that'll trend us in a, in a better direction. I completely agree. Completely agree. And that's why, you know, I, kind of like what I was saying off air before we even started this conversation. Like, that's why I started this podcast. Like I want this podcast to be a place where we can speak about issues such as this, where we can talk about all sides, talk about our side, talk about any and any and everything regarding religion and how it bleeds into our politics, how it bleeds into our society, how it bleeds into um, our relationships and our communities in general and how we can find that common sense that we seem to have kind of fogged over or blurred in our brains. Um, especially with something as crazy as the past few years have been, um, with the Trump presidency and then moving into, uh, the pandemic. And it feels like our entire society is just in a complete upheaval, and yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a lot for society to try and process. And we need voices like yours, um, to your father's point to kind of try and make sense of it. And, um, so I, I'm really, really grateful that you came on and talked to me today. Um, our conversation was so, so good. I got so much out of it. So thank you. Oh, it was great. It was great. I I'm super grateful to, uh, have gotten the opportunity to be on, would be glad mm-hmm. to do it anytime again. Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to have another conversation because I just like with all of my guests, we always feel like we can talk for hours about yes. the, all the problems of the world. <laughs> yeah, all, all the things. All, yeah. all the things. Sure. Um, so Jeremy, what is your TikTok handle so that people can find you? Yeah. So people can find me on any social media platform, uh, just uh, at pastor from OK. Um, so TikTok is is the biggest platform. It's the one I'm most consistent with. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, you can also find me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, I just started a YouTube channel as well. Um, awesome. That pastor from Oklahoma. Um, so that's just uh, youtube.com backslash pastor from okay as well. Perfect. And uh, so anyway, uh, lots of good places, new things coming ahead. Um, starting an online gathering called uh, the Speakeasy Project. Um, that'll be mm-hmm. on Sundays at 11 o'clock central for folks who just want to have good, like, um, underground conversation about faith, about life. Uh, it's, I think one of my, uh, one of my followers described it best by saying it's church, but not church, Mm. um, which I think will be really fun. Uh, and then, um, new, new podcast dropping on. So that'll be on September 26th. And then on September 27th, uh, that pastor from Oklahoma podcast is going to hit all major platforms. Yay. So So. exciting. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So yeah, as uh, this episode is going to drop after that. So I'll make sure to link everything um, for people to easily go find the Speakeasy Speakeasy Project, that pastor from OK um, podcast and on all social platforms. You guys can follow Jeremy and um, be a part of his common sense movement. Yeah. yeah, we want common sense to be more than quarters, okay? Like we're strong. <laughs>